Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 1 of The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Barrett. The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar, by Maurice Leblanc. Translated by George Moorhead. Chapter One The Arrest of Arsène Lupin. It was a strange ending to a voyage that had commenced in a most auspicious manner. The transatlantic steamship La Provence was a swift and comfortable vessel under the command of a most affable man. The passengers constituted a select and delightful society. The charm of new acquaintances and improvised amusements served to make the time pass agreeably. We enjoyed the pleasant sensation of being separated from the world, living, as it were, upon an unknown island, and consequently obliged to be sociable with each other. Have you ever stopped to consider how much originality and spontaneity emanate from these various individuals who, on the preceding evening, did not even know each other, and who are now, for several days, condemned to lead a life of extreme intimacy, jointly defying the anger of the ocean, the terrible onslaught of the waves, the violence of the tempest, and the agonizing monotony of the calm and sleepy water. Such a life becomes a sort of tragic existence, with its storms and its grandeurs, its monotony and its diversity, and that is why, perhaps, we embark upon that short voyage with mingled feelings of pleasure and fear. But during the past few years a new sensation had been added to the life of the transatlantic traveller. The little floating island is now attached to the world from which it was once quite free. A bond united them even in the very heart of the watery wastes of the Atlantic, that bond is the wireless telegraph, by means of which we receive news in the most mysterious manner. We know full well that the message is not transported by the medium of a hollow wire. No, the mystery is even more inexplicable, more romantic, and we must have recourse to the wings of the air in order to explain this new miracle. During the first day of the voyage we felt that we were being followed, escorted, preceded even, by that distant voice which, from time to time, whispered to one of us a few words from the receding world. Two friends spoke to me, ten, twenty others sent gay or sombre words of parting to other passengers. On the second day, at a distance of five hundred miles from the French coast, in the midst of a violent storm, we received the following message by means of the wireless telegraph. Arsène Lupin is on your vessel first cabin, blonde hair, wound right forearm, travelling alone under the name of R. At that moment a terrible flash of lightning rent the stormy skies. The electric waves were interrupted. The remainder of the dispatch never reached us. Of the name under which Arsène Lupin was concealing himself, we knew only the initial. If the news had been of some other character, I have no doubt that the secret would have been carefully guarded by the telegraphic operator as well as by the officers of the vessel. But it was one of those events calculated to escape from the most rigorous discretion. The same day, no one knew how, the incident became a matter of current gossip, and every passenger was aware that the famous Arsène Lupin was hiding in our midst. Arsène Lupin in our midst! the irresponsible burglar whose exploits had been narrated in all the newspapers during the past few months, the mysterious individual with whom Ganimard, our shrewdest detective, had been engaged in an implacable conflict amidst interesting and picturesque surroundings, Arsène Lupin, the eccentric gentleman who operates only in the chateaux and salons, and who one night entered the residence of Baron Schormann, but emerged empty-handed, leaving, however, his card on which he had scribbled these words. 
Arsène Lupin, gentleman burglar, will return when the furniture is genuine. Arsène Lupin, the man of a thousand disguises, in turn a chauffeur, detective, bookmaker, Russian physician, Spanish bullfighter, commercial traveller, robust youth, or decrepit old man. Then consider this startling situation. Arsène Lupin was wandering about within the limited bounds of a transatlantic steamer, in that very small corner of the world, in that dining saloon, in that smoking-room, in that music-room. Arsène Lupin was, perhaps, this gentleman, or that one, my neighbour at the table, the sharer of my state-room. "'And this condition of affairs will last for five days!' exclaimed Miss Nelly Underdown next morning. "'It is unbearable! I hope he will be arrested!' Then, addressing me, she added, "'And you, Monsieur d'Andrézy, you are on intimate terms with the captain. Surely you know something.' I should have been delighted had I possessed any information that would interest Miss Nelly. She was one of those magnificent creatures who inevitably attract attention in every assembly. Wealth and beauty form an irresistible combination, and Nelly possessed both. Educated in Paris under the care of a French mother, she was now going to visit her father, the millionaire Underdown of Chicago. She was accompanied by one of her friends, Lady Gerland. At first I had decided to open a flirtation with her, but in the rapidly growing intimacy of the voyage I was soon impressed by her charming manner, and my feelings became too deep and reverential for a mere flirtation. Moreover, she accepted my attentions with a certain degree of favour. She condescended to laugh at my witticisms and display an interest in my stories. Yet I felt that I had a rival in the person of a young man with quiet and refined tastes and it struck me at times that she preferred his taciturn humour to my Parisian frivolity. He formed one in the circle of admirers that surrounded Miss Nelly at the time she addressed to me the foregoing question. We were all comfortably seated in our deck-chairs. The storm of the preceding evening had cleared the sky. The weather was now delightful. "'I have no definite knowledge, mademoiselle,' I replied but cannot we ourselves investigate the mystery quite as well as the detective Ganimard, the personal enemy of Arsène Lupin? Ho, ho! You are progressing very fast, monsieur. Not at all, mademoiselle. In the first place, let me ask, do you find the problem a complicated one? Very complicated. Have you forgotten the key we hold for the solution to the problem? What key? In the first place, Lupin calls himself Monsieur R. Rather vague information, she replied. Secondly, he is travelling alone. Does that help you? she asked. Thirdly, he is blonde. Well, then we have only to peruse the passenger list and proceed by process of elimination. I had that list in my pocket. I took it out and glanced through it. Then I remarked, I find that there are only thirteen men on the passenger list whose names begin with the letter R. Only thirteen? Yes, in the first cabin, and of those thirteen I find that nine of them are accompanied by women, children, or servants. That leaves only four who are travelling alone. First, the Marquis de Ravardin, secretary to the American ambassador, interrupted Miss Nelly. I know him. Major Rawson, I continued. He is my uncle, someone said. Monsieur Revolta. Here, exclaimed an Italian, whose face was concealed beneath a heavy black beard. Miss Nelly burst into laughter and exclaimed, <laughs> That gentleman can scarcely be called a blonde. Very well, then, I said. We are forced to the conclusion that the guilty party is the last one on the list. What is his name? Monsieur Rosen. Does anyone know him? No one answered. But Miss Nelly turned to the taciturn young man whose attentions to her had annoyed me, and said, "'Well, Monsieur Rosen, why do you not answer?' All eyes were now turned upon him. He was a blonde. I must confess that I myself felt a shock of surprise, and the profound silence that followed her question indicated that the others present also viewed the situation with a feeling of sudden alarm. However, the idea was an absurd one, 
because the gentleman in question presented an air of the most perfect innocence. "'Why do I not answer?' he said. "'Because, considering my name, my position as a solitary traveller, and the colour of my hair, I have already reached the same conclusion, and now think that I should be arrested.' He presented a strange appearance as he uttered these words. His thin lips were drawn closer than usual, and his face was ghastly pale, whilst his eyes were streaked with blood. Of course he was joking, yet his appearance and attitude impressed us strangely. "'But you have not the wound,' said Miss Nelly naively. "'That is true,' he replied. "'I lack the wound.' Then he pulled up his sleeve, removing his cuff, and showed us his arm. But that action did not deceive me. He had shown us his left arm, and I was on the point of calling his attention to the fact when another incident diverted our attention. Lady Jarlin, Miss Nelly's friend, came running towards us in a state of great excitement, exclaiming, "'My jewels! My pearls! Someone has stolen them all!' No, they were not all gone, as we soon found out. The thief had taken only part of them. A very curious thing. Of the diamond sunbursts, jewelled pendants, bracelets and necklaces, the thief had taken not the largest but the finest and most valuable stones. The mountings were lying upon the table. I saw them there, despoiled of their jewels, like flowers from which the beautiful coloured petals had been ruthlessly plucked. And this theft must have been committed at the time Lady Jarlin was taking her tea, in broad daylight, in a stateroom opening on a much-frequented corridor, Moreover, the thief had been obliged to force open the door of the stateroom, search for the jewel-case, which was hidden at the bottom of a hat-box, open it, select his booty, and remove it from the mountings. Of course, all the passengers instantly reached the same conclusion. It was the work of Arsène Lupin. That day, at the dinner-table, the seats to the right and left of Rosen remained vacant and during the evening it was rumoured that the captain had placed him under arrest, which information produced a feeling of safety and relief. We breathed once more. That evening we resumed our games and dances. Miss Nelly especially displayed a spirit of thoughtless gaiety which convinced me that if Rosen's attentions had been agreeable to her in the beginning, she had already forgotten them. Her charm and good humour completed my conquest. At midnight, under a bright moon, I declared my devotion with an ardour that did not seem to displease her. But next day, to our general amazement, Rosen was at liberty. We learned that the evidence against him was not sufficient. He had produced documents that were perfectly regular, which showed that he was the son of a wealthy merchant of Bordeaux. Besides, his arms did not bear the slightest trace of a wound. Documents, certificates of birth, exclaimed the enemies of Rosen, of course Arsène Lupin will furnish you as many as you desire. And as to the wound, he never had it, or he has removed it. Then it was proven that, at the time of the theft, Rosen was promenading on the deck, to which fact his enemies replied that a man like Arsène Lupin could commit a crime without being actually present. And then, apart from all other circumstances, there remained one point which even the most sceptical could not answer who, except Rosen, was travelling alone, was a blonde, and bore a name beginning with R. To whom did the telegram point, if it were not Rosen? And when Rosen, a few minutes before breakfast, came boldly toward our group, Miss Nelly and Lady Jarlin arose and walked away. An hour later a manuscript circular was passed from hand to hand amongst the sailors, the stewards, and the passengers of all classes, it announced that M. Louis Rosen offered a reward of ten thousand francs for the discovery of Arsène Lupin, or other person in possession of the stolen jewels. "'And if no one assists me, I will unmask the scoundrel myself,' declared Rosen. Rosen against Arsène Lupin, or rather, according to current opinion, Arsène Lupin himself against Arsène Lupin. The contest promised to be interesting.' Nothing developed during the next two days. We saw Rosen wandering about day and night, searching, questioning, investigating. The captain also displayed commendable activity. 
he caused the vessel to be searched from stern to stern ransacked every stateroom under the plausible theory that the jewels might be concealed anywhere except in the thief's own room i suppose they will find out something soon remarked miss nelly to me he may be a wizard but he cannot make diamonds and pearls become invisible certainly not i replied but he should examine the lining of our hats and vests and everything we carry with us then exhibiting my kodak a nine by twelve with which i had been photographing her in various poses i added in an apparatus no larger than that a person could hide all of lady gerland's jewels he could pretend to take pictures and no one would suspect the game but i have heard it said that every thief leaves some clue behind him that may be generally true i replied but there is one exception arsène lupin why because he concentrates his thoughts not only on the theft but on all the circumstances connected with it that could serve as a clue to his identity a few days ago you were more confident yes but since i have seen him at work and what do you think about it now she asked well in my opinion we are wasting our time and as a matter of fact the investigation had produced no result but in the meantime the captain's watch had been stolen he was furious he quickened his efforts and watched rosaine more closely than before but on the following day the watch was found in the second officer's collar-box this incident caused considerable astonishment and displayed the humorous side of arsène lupin burglar though he was but dilettante as well he combined business with pleasure he reminded us of the author who almost died in a fit of laughter provoked by his own play certainly he was an artist in his particular line of work and whenever i saw rosaine gloomy and reserved and thought of the double role that he was playing i accorded him a certain measure of admiration on the following evening the officer on deck duty heard groans emanating from the darkest corner of the ship he approached and found a man lying there his head enveloped in a thick grey scarf and his hands tied together with a heavy cord it was rosaine he had been assaulted thrown down and robbed a card pinned to his coat bore these words arsene lupin accepts with pleasure the ten thousand francs offered by m rosaine as a matter of fact the stolen pocket-book contained twenty thousand francs of course some accused the unfortunate man of having simulated this attack on himself but apart from the fact that he could not have bound himself in that manner it was established that the writing on the card was entirely different from that of rosaine but on the contrary resembled the handwriting of arsène lupin as it was reproduced in an old newspaper found on board thus it appeared that rosaine was not arsène lupin but was rosaine the son of a bordeaux merchant and the presence of Arsène Lupin was once more affirmed, and that in a most alarming manner. Such was the state of terror amongst the passengers that none would remain alone in a stateroom or wander singly in unfrequented parts of the vessel. We clung together as a matter of safety, and yet the most intimate acquaintances were estranged by a mutual feeling of distrust. Arsène Lupin was now anybody and everybody, our excited imaginations attributed to him miraculous and unlimited power we supposed him capable of assuming the most unexpected disguises of being by turns the highly respectable major rawson or the noble marquis de raverdan or even for we no longer stopped with the accusing letter of r or even such or such a person well known to all of us and having wife children and servants the first wireless dispatches from america brought no news at least the captain did not communicate any to us the silence was not reassuring our last day on the steamer seemed interminable we lived in constant fear of some disaster this time it would not be a simple theft or a comparatively harmless assault it would be a crime a murder no one imagined that arsène lupin would confine himself to those two trifling offences absolute master of the ship the authorities powerless he could do whatever he pleased our property and lives were at his mercy yet those were delightful hours for me since they secured to me the confidence of miss nelly 
deeply moved by those startling events and being of a highly nervous nature she spontaneously sought at my side a protection and security that i was pleased to give her inwardly i blessed arsène lupin had he not been the means of bringing me and miss nelly closer together thanks to him i could now indulge in delicious dreams of love and happiness dreams that i felt were not unwelcome to miss nelly her smiling eyes authorized me to make them the softness of her voice bade me hope as we approached the american shore the active search for the thief was apparently abandoned and we were anxiously awaiting the supreme moment in which the mysterious enigma would be explained who was arsène lupin under what name under what disguise was the famous arsène lupin concealing himself and at last that supreme moment arrived if i live one hundred years i shall not forget the slightest details of it how pale you are miss nelly i said to my companion as she leaned upon my arm almost fainting and you she replied ah oh, you are so changed just think this is a most exciting moment and i am delighted to spend it with you miss nelly i hope that your memory will sometimes revert but she was not listening she was nervous and excited the gangway was placed in position but before we could use it the uniformed customs officers came on board miss nelly murmured i shouldn't be surprised to hear that arsene lupin escaped from the vessel during the voyage perhaps he preferred death to dishonor and plunged into the atlantic rather than be arrested oh do not laugh she said suddenly i started and in answer to her question i said do you see that little old man standing at the bottom of the gangway with an umbrella and an olive-green coat it is ganimard ganimard yes the celebrated detective who has sworn to capture arsene lupin oh, i can understand now why we did not receive any news from this side of the atlantic ganimard was here and he always keeps his business secret then you think he will arrest arsene lupin who can tell the unexpected always happens when arsene lupin is concerned in the affair oh she exclaimed with that morbid curiosity peculiar to women i should like to see him arrested you will have to be patient no doubt arsene lupin has already seen his enemy and will not be in a hurry to leave the steamer the passengers were now leaving the steamer leaning on his umbrella with an air of careless indifference ganimard appeared to be paying no attention to the crowd that was hurrying down the gangway the marquis de raverdan major rawson the italian revolta and many others had already left the vessel before rosen appeared poor rosen perhaps it is he after all said miss nelly to me what do you think i think it would be very interesting to have ganimard and rosen in the same picture you take the camera i am loaded down i gave her the camera but too late for her to use it rosen was already passing the detective an american officer standing behind ganimard leaned forward and whispered in his ear the french detective shrugged his shoulders and rosen passed on then my god who was arsène lupin yes said miss nelly aloud who can it be not more than twenty people now remained on board she scrutinized them one by one fearful that arsène lupin was not amongst them we cannot wait much longer i said to her she started toward the gangway i followed but we had not taken ten steps when ganimard barred our passage well what is it i exclaimed one moment monsieur what's your hurry i am escorting mademoiselle one moment he repeated in a tone of authority then gazing into my eyes he said arsène lupin is it not i laughed and replied <laughs> no simply bernard d'andrezy bernard d'andrezy died in macedonia three years ago if bernard d'andrezy were dead i should not be here but you are mistaken here are my papers they are his and i can tell you exactly how they came into your possession you are a fool i exclaimed arsene lupin sailed under the name of r yes another of your tricks 
a false scent that deceived them at havre you play a good game my boy but this time luck is against you i hesitated a moment then he hit me a sharp blow on the right arm which caused me to utter a cry of pain he had struck the wound yet unhealed referred to in the telegram i was obliged to surrender there was no alternative i turned to miss nelly who had heard everything our eyes met then she glanced at the kodak i had placed in her hands and made a gesture that conveyed to me the impression that she understood everything yes there between the narrow folds of black leather in the hollow centre of the small object that i had taken the precaution to place in her hands before ganimard arrested me it was there i had deposited rosen's twenty thousand francs and lady gerland's pearls and diamonds oh i pledge my oath that at that solemn moment when i was in the grasp of ganimard and his two assistants i was perfectly indifferent to everything to my arrest the hostility of the people everything except this one question what will miss nelly do with the things i had confided to her in the absence of that material and conclusive proof i had nothing to fear but would miss nelly decide to furnish that proof would she betray me would she act the part of an enemy who cannot forgive or that of a woman whose scorn is softened by feelings of indulgence and involuntary sympathy she passed in front of me i said nothing but bowed very low mingled with the other passengers she advanced to the gangway with my kodak in her hand it occurred to me that she would not dare to expose me publicly but she might do so when she reached a more private place however when she had passed only a few feet down the gangway with a movement of simulated awkwardness she let the camera fall into the water between the vessel and the pier then she walked down the gangway and was quickly lost to sight in the crowd she had passed out of my life for ever for a moment i stood motionless then to ganimard's great astonishment i muttered what a pity that i am not an honest man such was the story of his arrest as narrated to me by arsene lupin himself the various incidents which i shall record in writing at a later day have established between us certain ties shall i say of friendship yes i venture to believe that arsene lupin honours me with his friendship and that it is through friendship that he occasionally calls on me and brings into the silence of my library his youthful exuberance of spirits the contagion of his enthusiasm and the mirth of a man for whom destiny has naught but favours and smiles his portrait how can i describe him i have seen him twenty times and each time he was a different person even he himself said to me on one occasion i no longer know who i am i cannot recognize myself in the mirror certainly he was a great actor and possessed a marvellous faculty for disguising himself without the slightest effort he could adopt the voice gestures and mannerisms of another person why said he why should i retain a definite form and feature why not avoid the danger of a personality that is ever the same my actions will serve to identify me then he added with a touch of pride so much the better if no one can ever say with absolute certainty there is arsene lupin the essential point is that the public may be able to refer to my work and say without fear of mistake arsene lupin did that End of chapter 1《Chapter 2 Part 1 of the Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar by Maurice Leblanc. Translated by George Moorhead. Chapter 2 arsene lupin in prison there is no tourist worthy of the name who does not know the banks of the seine and has not noticed in passing the little feudal castle of the malaquis built upon a rock in the centre of the river an arched bridge connects it with the shore all around it the calm waters of the great river play peacefully amongst the reeds 
and the wagtails flutter over the moist crests of the stones the history of the malachi castle is stormy like its name harsh like its outlines it has passed through a long series of combats sieges assaults rapines and massacres a recital of the crimes that have been committed there would cause the stoutest heart to tremble there are many mysterious legends connected with the castle and they tell us of a famous subterranean tunnel that formerly led to the abbey of jumiege and to the manor of agnes sorel mistress of charles the seventh in that ancient habitation of heroes and brigands the baron nathan caon now lived or baron satan as he was formerly called on the bourse where he had acquired a fortune with incredible rapidity the lords of malachi absolutely ruined had been obliged to sell the ancient castle at a great sacrifice it contained an admirable collection of furniture pictures wood carvings and faience the baron lived there alone attended by three old servants no one ever enters the place no one had ever beheld the three rubens that he possessed his two watteaux his jean goujon pulpit and the many other treasures that he had acquired by a vast expenditure of money at public sales baron satan lived in constant fear not for himself but for the treasures that he had accumulated with such an earnest devotion and with so much perspicacity that the shrewdest merchant could not say that the baron had ever erred in his taste or judgment he loved them his bibelot he loved them intensely like a miser jealously like a lover every day at sunset the iron gates at either end of the bridge and at the entrance to the court of honour are closed and barred at the least touch on these gates electric bells will ring throughout the castle one thursday in september a letter-carrier presented himself at the gate at the head of the bridge and as usual it was the baron himself who partially opened the heavy portal he scrutinized the man as minutely as if he were a stranger although the honest face and twinkling eyes of the postman had been familiar to the baron for many years the man laughed as he said <laughs> it is only i monsieur le baron it is not another man wearing my cap and blouse one can never tell muttered the baron the man handed him a number of newspapers and then said and now monsieur le baron here is something new something new yes a letter a registered letter living as a recluse without friends or business relations the baron never received any letters and the one now presented to him immediately aroused within him a feeling of suspicion and distrust it was like an evil omen who was this mysterious correspondent that dared to disturb the tranquillity of his retreat you must sign for it monsieur le baron he signed then took the letter waited until the postman had disappeared beyond the bend in the road and after walking nervously to and fro for a few minutes he leaned against the parapet of the bridge and opened the envelope it contained a sheet of paper bearing this heading prison de la sante paris he looked at the signature arsène lupin then he read monsieur le baron there is in the gallery in your castle a picture of philippe de champagne of exquisite finish which pleases me beyond measure your rubens are also to my taste as well as your smallest watteau in the salon to the right i have noticed the louis thirteenth cadence table the tapestries of beauvais the empire guéridon signed jacob and the renaissance chest in the salon to the left all the cabinet full of jewels and miniatures for the present i will content myself with those articles that can be conveniently removed i will therefore ask you to pack them carefully and ship them to me charges prepaid to the station at batignolles within eight days otherwise i shall be obliged to remove them myself during the night of twenty seventh september but under those circumstances i shall not content myself with the articles above mentioned accept my apologies for any inconvenience i may cause you and believe me to be your humble servant arsène lupin p s 
please do not send the largest watteau although you paid thirty thousand francs for it it is only a copy the original having been burned under the directoire by barat during a night of debauchery consult the memoirs of garat i do not care for the louis fifteenth chatelaine as i doubt its authenticity that letter completely upset the baron had it borne any other signature he would have been greatly alarmed but signed by arsène lupin as an habitual reader of the newspapers he was versed in the history of recent crimes and was therefore well acquainted with the exploits of the mysterious burglar of course he knew that lupin had been arrested in america by his enemy ganimard and was at present incarcerated in the prison de la santé but he knew also that any miracle might be expected from arsène lupin moreover that exact knowledge of the castle the location of the pictures and furniture gave the affair an alarming aspect how could he have acquired that information concerning things that no one had ever seen the baron raised his eyes and contemplated the stern outlines of the castle its steep rocky pedestal the depth of the surrounding water and shrugged his shoulders certainly there was no danger no one in the world could force an entrance to the sanctuary that contained his priceless treasures no one perhaps but arsène lupin for him gates walls and drawbridges did not exist what use were the most formidable obstacles or the most careful precautions if arsène lupin had decided to effect an entrance that evening he wrote to the procureur of the république at rouen he enclosed the threatening letter and solicited aid and protection the reply came at once to the effect that arsène lupin was in custody in the prison de la santé under close surveillance with no opportunity to write such a letter which was no doubt the work of some impostor but as an act of precaution the procureur had submitted the letter to an expert in handwriting who declared that in spite of certain resemblances the writing was not that of the prisoner but the words in spite of certain resemblances caught the attention of the baron in them he read the possibility of a doubt which appeared to him quite sufficient to warrant the intervention of the law his fears increased he read lupin's letter over and over again i shall be obliged to remove them myself and then there was the fixed date the night of twenty seven september to confide in his servants was a proceeding repugnant to his nature but now for the first time in many years he experienced the necessity of seeking counsel with some one abandoned by the legal official of his own district and feeling unable to defend himself with his own resources he was on the point of going to paris to engage the services of a detective two days passed on the third day he was filled with hope and joy as he read the following item in the Réveil de Caudebec, a newspaper published in a neighbouring town. We have the pleasure of entertaining in our city, at the present time, the veteran detective M. Ganimard, who acquired a world-wide reputation by his clever capture of Arsène Lupin. He has come here for rest and recreation, and being an enthusiastic fisherman, he threatens to capture all the fish in our river. Ganimard! Ah, here is the assistance desired by Baron Caorn. Who could baffle the schemes of Arsène Lupin better than Ganimard, the patient and astute detective? He was the man for the place. The Baron did not hesitate. The town of Caudebec was only six kilometres from the castle, a short distance to a man whose step was accelerated by the hope of safety. After several fruitless attempts to ascertain the detective's address, the baron visited the office of the Réveil, situated on the quai. There he found the writer of the article, who, approaching the window, exclaimed, Ganimard? Why, you are sure to see him somewhere on the quai with his fishing-pole. I met him there and chanced to read his name engraved on his rod. Ah, there he is now, under the trees. That little man wearing a straw hat? Exactly. He is a gruff fellow, with little to say. Five minutes later, the baron approached the celebrated Ganimard, introduced himself, and sought to commence a conversation, but that was a failure. Then he broached the real object of his interview 
and briefly stated his case the other listened motionless with his attention riveted on his fishing-rod when the baron had finished his story the fisherman turned with an air of profound pity and said monsieur it is not customary for thieves to warn people they are about to rob arsene lupin especially would not commit such a folly but monsieur if i had the least doubt believe me the pleasure of again capturing arsene lupin would place me at your disposal but unfortunately that young man is already under lock and key he may have escaped no one ever escaped from the sante but he he no more than any other yet well if he escapes so much the better i will catch him again meanwhile you go home and sleep soundly that will do for the present you frighten the fish the conversation was ended the baron returned to the castle reassured to some extent by ganimard's indifference he examined the bolts watched the servants and during the next forty-eight hours he became almost persuaded that his fears were groundless certainly as ganimard had said thieves do not warn people they are about to rob the fateful day was close at hand it was now the twenty-sixth of september and nothing had happened but at three o'clock the bell rang a boy brought this telegram no goods at the batignol station prepare everything for to-morrow night arsène this telegram threw the baron into such a state of excitement that he even considered the advisability of yielding to lupin's demands however he hastened to caudebec ganimard was fishing at the same place seated on a camp-stool without a word he handed him the telegram well what of it said the detective what of it but it is to-morrow what is to-morrow <laughs> the robbery the pillage of my collections ganimard laid down his fishing-rod turned to the baron and exclaimed in a tone of impatience ah oh, do you think i am going to bother myself about such a silly story as that how much do you ask to pass to-morrow night in the castle not a sou now leave me alone name your own price i am rich and can pay it this offer disconcerted ganimard who replied calmly i am here on vacation i have no right to undertake such work no one will know i promise to keep it secret oh nothing will happen come three thousand francs will that be enough the detective after a moment's reflection said very well but i must warn you that you are throwing your money out of the window i do not care in that case but after all what do we know about this devil lupin he may have quite a numerous band of robbers with him are you sure of your servants my faith better not count on them i will telegraph for two of my men to help me and now go it is better for us not to be seen together to-morrow evening about nine o'clock the following day the day fixed by arsene lupin baron caon arranged all his panoply of war furbished his weapons and like a sentinel paced to and fro in front of the castle he saw nothing heard nothing at half-past eight o'clock in the evening he dismissed his servants they occupied rooms in a wing of the building in a retired spot well removed from the main portion of the castle shortly thereafter the baron heard the sound of approaching footsteps it was ganimard and his two assistants great powerful fellows with immense hands and necks like bulls after asking a few questions relating to the location of the various entrances and rooms ganimard carefully closed and barricaded all the doors and windows through which one could gain access to the threatened rooms he inspected the walls raised the tapestries and finally installed his assistants in the central gallery which was located between the two salons no nonsense you are not here to sleep at the slightest sound open the windows of the court and call me pay attention also to the water-side ten metres of perpendicular rock is no obstacle to those devils ganimard locked his assistants in the gallery carried away the keys and said to the baron and now to our post 
he had chosen for himself a small room located in the thick outer wall between the two principal doors and which in former years had been the watchman's quarters a peephole opened upon the bridge another on the court in one corner there was an opening to a tunnel i believe you told me monsieur le baron that this tunnel is the only subterranean entrance to the castle and that it has been closed up for time immemorial yes then unless there is some other entrance known only to arsene lupin we are quite safe he placed three chairs together stretched himself upon them lighted his pipe and sighed <sighs> really monsieur le baron i feel ashamed to take your money for such a sinecure as this i will tell the story to my friend lupin he will enjoy it immensely the baron did not laugh he was anxiously listening but heard nothing save the beating of his own heart from time to time he leaned over the tunnel and cast a fearful eye into its depths he heard the clock strike eleven twelve one suddenly he seized ganimard's arm the latter leapt up awakened from his sleep do you hear asked the baron in a whisper yes what is it i was snoring i suppose no no listen ah uh, yes it is the horn of an automobile well well it is very improbable that lupin would use an automobile like a battering-ram to demolish your castle come monsieur le baron return to your post i am going to sleep good-night that was the only alarm ganimard resumed his interrupted slumbers and the baron heard nothing except the regular snoring of his companion at break of day they left the room the castle was enveloped in a profound calm it was a peaceful dawn on the bosom of a tranquil river they mounted the stairs caon radiant with joy ganimard calm as usual they heard no sound they saw nothing to arouse suspicion what did i tell you monsieur le baron really i should not have accepted your offer i am ashamed he unlocked the door and entered the gallery upon two chairs with drooping heads and pendant arms the detective's two assistants were asleep tonnerre de nom d'un chien exclaimed ganimard at the same moment the baron cried out the pictures the credence he stammered choked with arms outstretched toward the empty places toward the denuded walls where naught remained but the useless nails and cords the watteau disappeared the rubens carried away the tapestries taken down the cabinets despoiled of their jewels and my louis the sixteenth candelabra and the regent chandelier and my twelfth-century virgin he ran from one spot to another in wildest despair he recalled the purchase price of each article added up the figures counted his losses pell-mell in confused words and unfinished phrases he stamped with rage he groaned with grief he acted like a ruined man whose only hope is suicide if anything could have consoled him it would have been the stupefaction displayed by ganimard the famous detective did not move he appeared to be petrified he examined the room in a listless manner the windows closed the locks on the doors intact not a break in the ceiling not a hole in the floor everything was in perfect order the theft had been carried out methodically according to a logical and inexorable plan arsène lupin arsène lupin he muttered suddenly as if moved by anger he rushed upon his two assistants and shook them violently they did not awaken the devil he cried can it be possible he leaned over them and in turn examined them closely they were asleep but their response was unnatural they have been drugged he said to the baron by whom by him of course or his men under his discretion 
that work bears his stamp oh, in that case i am lost nothing can be done nothing assented ganimard it is dreadful it is monstrous lodge a complaint what good will that do oh it is well to try it the law has some resources the law <laughs> it is useless you represent the law and at this moment when you should be looking for a clue and trying to discover something you do not even stir discover something with arsene lupin why my dear monsieur arsene lupin never leaves any clue behind him he leaves nothing to chance sometimes i think he put himself in my way and simply allowed me to arrest him in america then i must renounce my pictures he has taken the gems of my collection i would give a fortune to recover them if there is no other way let him name his own price ganimard regarded the baron attentively as he said now that is sensible will you stick to it yes yes but why an idea that i have what is it we will discuss it later if the official examination does not succeed but not one word about me if you wish my assistance he added between his teeth it is true i have nothing to boast of in this affair the assistants were gradually regaining consciousness with the bewildered air of people who come out of a hypnotic sleep they opened their eyes and looked about them in astonishment ganimard questioned them they remembered nothing but you must have seen someone no can't you remember no no did you drink anything they considered a moment and then one of them replied yes i drank a little water out of that carafe yes so did i declared the other ganimard smelled and tasted it it had no particular taste and no odor come he said we are wasting our time here one can't decide an arsene lupin problem in five minutes but morbleu i swear i will catch him again the same day a charge of burglary was duly performed by baron caon against arsene lupin a prisoner in the prison de la santé end of chapter two part one everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price ba da ba ba ba